The future of project management is changing fast. On Projectified with PMI, we'll help you stay ahead of the trends as we talk about what that means for the industry and for everyone involved. I'm Stephen W. May for Projectified with PMI. For an easy way to stay up to date on Projectified with PMI, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and PMI.org slash podcast. In this episode, we meet Michael Chewy of the McKinsey Global Institute. Michael shares research on the impact that artificial intelligence will have on the workforce, why AI presents new opportunities in the project world, and how project professionals can prepare themselves to thrive in an emergent, exciting, and uncertain landscape. Michael, I've been very interested in your work. I've had a chance to read some things that you've written. I've watched videos that you've produced, so talks that you've given in other formats, and have been just fascinated by the research and by what you have taken from that, and really looking forward to talking with you today. So thank you for being here. Stephen, it's a great pleasure, and uh, thanks so much for the kind words. Well, they're uh, all true. So let's jump right in. You know, you have done, uh, obviously not alone, but we want to hear your perspective on this. You've been involved involved in fascinating research around automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, robotics, digitization, and really that as a bundle and how all of that affects work and the potential future of work. So if we're going to use as kind of a shorthand here, the research, which I realize there's a lot of pieces, give us a quick overview of, of what the research was about or has been about and what for you has been the biggest surprise coming out of that. Well, I mean, I think a couple of things. First of all, thanks for acknowledging it. Everything that we do uh, at McKinsey and the McKinsey Global Institute really is a a team sport. And so I'm representing the work of a terrific set of folks um, that that, uh, we've done this research um, with. Uh, The first thing is, why are we looking at this at all? I think one of the things that we have observed as we've, uh, you know, looked at the world, and I'm a technologist by training, computer scientist, cognitive scientist, is um, some perhaps surprising advances in the technologies themselves around artificial intelligence and robotics. Um, you know, as a, as a former artificial intelligence researcher, I would have thought just a few years ago that the task of having, you know, creating a self-driving car would be years away, just a, a very difficult, um, you know, set of engineering challenges, et cetera. And yet here where I live in San Francisco, nowadays, if I drive on the streets, uh, you know, it, it's uh, more likely than not, you'll run across uh, one of these self-driving cars uh, in test mode. And so there's that, there are, you know, a set of things that have happened uh, in the cognitive realm as well, you know, not only beating the world champion in chess two decades ago, but now the world champion in Go, which is a, a, a game that's, you know, many times more complex and difficult than chess. But then the ability for machines to read lips better than deaf people do. And so, again, w- to a certain extent, the technology is surprising us. And then when you think about what the implications for these technologies are in the world of work and the degree to which things that we thought you know, only humans might be able to do effectively. Now the machines are doing things as well or even better. Uh, you know, there's a, a natural s- s- series of questions about what does this mean for work? What does this mean for employment? Um, you know, are, are we going to have mass unemployment going forward because the robots and AI will take over everyone's, uh, everyone's job? And so that was really the motivation for the research. So what did we find and, you know, how did we think about it? I think one of the things that we looked at doing as we looked at um, 
jobs. You know, while others have studied jobs themselves, we actually thought that if you look at any individual occupation, that's the wrong level of granularity to examine this uh, phenomenon. Because everyone in their job, everyone in their occupation does multiple different activities each of which has a different propensity for machines to to automate. And so rather than looking only at, you know, 900 or so jobs that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics um, catalogs, we looked at all of the constituent activities, over 2,000 of them in total. And for each of those, scored them against 18 different capabilities, which potentially could be automated. So everything from... Uh, cognitive tasks, recognizing known patterns or developing novel patterns, doing logical problem solving, some physical things such as fine motor skills, gross motor skills, navigating the physical world, linguistic things, understanding when someone's talking, being able to process it, being able to respond in a natural language such as English, and even some social and emotional capabilities, the ability to read or recognize human emotion in another person, process that, and then respond in an appropriate way. So against against 18 of these different capabilities, we tried to understand what level is necessary in order to accomplish all of the activities that we pay people to do in the economy. And then at the same time, we looked at to what extent could technology you know, actually accomplish different capabilities of those 18 different capabilities, and they just compared. And you ask, you know, what are one of the, what are some of the surprising, you know, findings? Again, to a certain extent, they're not surprising in retrospect, but, you know, at least at a top line, if we just look at technical potential, what we found was about half of all the activities we pay people to do in the global workforce could be automated by adapting currently demonstrated technologies, not even requiring some sort of, you know, breakthrough in technology by some of these, you know, artificial intelligence and and robotics researchers. Literally by adapting currently demonstrated technologies, half of the things we pay people to do in the global economy could be automated. Now, that's a huge number. The other thing that we tried to understand was, well, look, if that's theoretically possible from a technology standpoint, you know, how long and how fast might that actually happen? And this is where we try to understand, look, what are, what are the things that have to happen in order for technology to actually be adopted? And number one, the technology has to be, we have to solve a bunch of technology problems. So while I said theoretically half of the activities could be automated by adapting currently demonstrated technologies, that adaptation mostly hasn't been done. So the technologies actually have to spend money and time integrating those technologies together and adapting them for individual activities. That takes some time. In many cases, you know, millions of dollars and years to do. So, you know, in order to get things to to actually become uh, automated and adopted, the technology problems have to be solved. Uh, You need to have a positive business case. So you need to compare the price of the technology versus the cost of uh, human labor, and then also net in all of the other potential benefits of automation, such as reduced variability, increased throughput, um, you know, decreased errors, greater safety. And then even when you have a positive business case, even when that all nets out positively, there's a natural adoption curve, and we've looked at dozens of different technologies. And across all those technologies, between the time of their commercial adoption and their eventual plateau, in, um, in adoption, uh, the, the time of commercial availability and their eventual plateau in adoption takes in the neighborhood of 8 to 28 years. And so when you net all of those things together, the time at which we actually think that, or we, we model a number of different scenarios, but the, the point at which half of today's activities might be automated, the middle of all of our scenarios is 2055. 
And so that's quite some time. Now, we, we modeled a scenario that's 20 years later and 20 years earlier. So, again, we're humble enough to know we can't predict the future, and there's lots of variability here. But, again, what we think is that things will happen somewhat slow and macro. That is, it takes a long time for half of the world's uh, activities to be automated, but fast and micro in the sense that if you're the individual who is affected by these technologies or if you're a company that has to compete on the basis of these technologies, uh, this might happen quite quickly for you. If you think about business, uh, you know, the hard work is usually not the development of the technology itself or even the acquisition and procurement. It's all of the project management, to be honest, the change management that has yeah. to happen. And so that's what really is the long pole in the tent. Interesting. So if you apply this to the project world, and let's go broad first, understanding that there are projects of some type in essentially every industry. But if you think about that idea of work defined in projects, and fast forward a bit, so we're going to allow for some of this adoption curve to have taken place, where do you see the significant differences in the project world? I think there are two broad categories of um, potential implications of, of the adoption of these technologies um, for people in the project management space. Uh, number one, I think it will change the activities that a project manager does in terms of just the way that they execute their job. And then it will change the way that the projects that they manage also uh, w will get done. So I'll, let me just comment on, on uh, each of those in turn. In terms of the way that projects get done, and as you mentioned, there's a huge variety in terms of the actual projects that are being done um, across sectors and, and functions, et cetera. But there are three uh, broad categories of activities which we found to have the highest susceptibility to technical automation. Uh, number one is a little bit unsurprising. They are physical activities in predictable environments. You can think about uh, an, as an assembly line in a factory, for instance. That's a classic example. But there are a number of different other sorts of physical activities in predictable environments, uh, which I think will be increasingly automated. You know, and this includes agriculture, for instance, uh, you know, what happens within a barn. So th there's still a lot of opportunity there, even though we sort of understand how this might work within a factory. But I think there are two other categories of types of activities which, again, have high susceptibility to automation, automation, and we'll find more and more of the projects that project managers are, are managing uh, find increasingly they'll need to manage not only people but the machines that do these things. And they are, number one, collecting information, and number two, uh, processing information. I think that two, two things that are interesting about that. One is that they're very widespread, um, you know, that, that in many cases, 30, 40, 50 percent of the activities that are being done might fit in these two categories. But, more, but also, interestingly, while a lot of these types of activities are done by, you know, relatively low-wage or frontline labor, uh, so for instance, you know, whether or not it's uh, processing a, a financial transaction or what have you, a lot of these activities are actually done by um, you know, in, in many cases, high-wage, high-skill uh, people, whether they're attorneys, uh, physicians, uh, uh, managers, uh, and executives themselves. And yeah. so I think what we're going to find is, you know, the, the, the projects that are being managed, the mix of work is going to change over time. So less of those sorts of things, and then more of the sorts of things which are harder to automate, at least currently for machines to do, which are things like exhibiting creativity, uh, exhibiting emotional intelligence, leading and managing and, and developing other people. So I think that's going to happen on terms of the projects that people manage. And then in terms of project managers themselves, again, the same kinds of things. There's a lot of time uh, the project managers spend 
you know, um, collecting information and processing information. Yeah. And while we have some tools to do resource leveling and those sorts of things, I think we're going to start to see those things happen in steroids. I, I, I strongly suspect that a lot of the work, the, the actual time that, you know, some of your listeners are spending are doing things like cutting and pasting from one system to another. And I think uh, some of the technologies we can buy off the shelf now um, make those, those, those activities much easier to do. Yeah. And, and I think there's some good news in there. When we think about uh, project professionals, and I'm, I'm allowing for this people that are in leadership roles in PMOs, people that are executives, but leading significant initiatives or significant projects, all the way through to someone who's quite early in her career and perhaps in her first project management role. I think there's good news in what you're saying in that the trend within that space is that more and more emphasis is being placed on things like leadership, on things like managing change, on things like coaching and developing people and uh, providing uh, an environment where people can make decisions and flourish and do their best work versus something that's that's a a kind of command and control, track and report. Uh, Those things have to be there in some form, but that doesn't feel to me like the future of project management. I think that sounds exactly right. And, I, you know, there's a cla- you know, glass half empty view on this, which is, again, if you look at the work that many people do, um, a- an unfortunate amount of it, uh, you know, an unfortunately small amount of it requires uh, the ability to connect with people on an emotional level, to motivate them, to exhibit leadership, uh, to be creative. Um, and so that's the cla- glass half empty. The glass half full version is, but going forward, maybe more and more of the work that we do, more and more of the work that a project manager do- does, will perhaps be these things that we think of as being more human, uh, that, that, that are perhaps more interesting, exciting, creative, and all those sorts of things. So I, I, I do think that there, there's a, definitely an optimistic story about this, is if you can get the machines to do, I'll put in quotes, the boring stuff, and perhaps the less interesting stuff, uh, and then, then people are freed up and uh, to do the things that uh, are perhaps more engaging, more interesting. Well, I certainly prefer that version of the story. So for the moment, let's go with that. Okay, very good. Happy to do that. So where do you anticipate the most significant impacts from automation? And I'm using that broadly. So artificial intelligence, machine learning, digitization, other broad areas of automation, including robotics. Where do you expect to see the most significant impacts here in the near future? Well, I mean, I want to preface my comments by saying, you know, the headline should be, in fact, this is going to affect all of us. Um, you know, regardless of industry. I mean, when, you know, we looked at all of the occupations in the economy, um, over 60% of the occupations we looked at had over 30% of their activities, which had the potential to be automated by adapting currently demonstrated technologies. In other words, all of us are going to have our jobs change over time. So, you know, I think that's the number one headline, which is it's, it's, this isn't something that will just affect one or two industries. I think it's quite complicated. And again, being able to ve- be very granular about what individual activities are there, what the costs of automating them are, uh, and then what the what the what the you know business case is for for doing it, you know all that has to happen. And the, the other thing that I'd point out is while our research was done on you know these sort of atomized view of you know this activity that activity in practice and certainly my firm when we've been helping clients 
whether it's in healthcare or, or energy or, or in financial services, think about how to use these technologies to improve their performance. Um, you, in, t they typically don't just look at an individual activity and say, okay, we can automate that activity. Rather, completely re-examining the entire process and how can you rethink or transform that process by using these technologies is really in practice what happens. And so that's part of the reason why it takes some time. It takes real work in order to, it's a, it's a project <laughs> indeed to, yeah. uh, to uh, create the, a, a new, a new uh, process. But that yeah. said, that's really where the benefit comes. Where do you think we are from a social acceptance perspective? And is that changing? Well, I, um, I think it's a very complex uh, question. First of all, different people have different, um, you know, interests or likelihood or trust in machines, uh, et cetera, to do different tasks. Um, and I think that even for an individual, but particularly for a population, that changes over time. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, right now, uh, most patients, you know, want to talk uh, particularly if it's an important uh, discussion, or, you know, whether it's a, a serious disease or, or um, a, a set of questions about what treatment should someone go through. They, most people, are, uh, many people, I would say, are very would feel more comfortable talking with a medical profession about, about, you know, about that decision, and hopefully someone who's empathetic and understanding and, and um, you know, can help people make difficult trade-offs. Um, at the same time, I'd observe, uh, certainly in other fields, um, you know, we've been, over time, we get much more comfortable with machines being helpful there. Even today, um, you know, these uh, electronic health records, um, you know, one of the things that the, the physician diagnostic assistance systems do is say, uh, you know, pop up a warning. Do you know that this patient is also taking this other drug and what you just prescribed might, you know, create an interaction? That's very, very helpful, and maybe the patient isn't even aware that that thing happens. Uh, but that's a little bit, that's a bit, you know, the, the computer being sort of an external brain or, 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 or you know, helper uh, for a physician. And I think we'll see more and more of that. Um, and certainly in the surgical realm, uh, you know, we do see these, quote, robots, um, you know, being used more and more. And, and in many ways, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're quite helpful. And so I think over time, we'll see more and more acceptance and interest. And again, you know, medical uh, decisions, extremely high stakes. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but there was a time when people said, look, if I'm going to go to a bank, I want to talk to a person, look them in the eye, because this is important. This is a you know, financial transaction. Uh, and now we have lots of people who are, you know, would rather not talk to a teller, <laughs> would rather, uh, you know, either transact on their phone or an ATM, et cetera. Uh, not because they don't like people, but, uh, you know, they just find that transaction to go faster, or, you know, maybe be, um, you know, more predictable and, and, you know, you, you could do it late at night and all those sorts of things. So I think our, the way that we view these machines changes over time, uh, based on familiarity, based on understanding the risks, um, and, and just experience. And I think, you know, we're in the very midst of that when it comes to self-driving cars, because we are starting to see them more and more on the roads. Uh, we're starting to see that as a feature on existing cars more and more. And I think, um, you know, people likely will become more and more comfortable with that, uh, given more experience. Do you expect to see uh, significant differences in, in adoption uh, across the country and across socioeconomic uh, levels and so forth? Well, I mean, th let me contrast two things. I I've been... Um, uh, you know, we talked about things that surprised me. Uh, I, I've been, I've been, in some senses, pleasantly surprised at the degree to which 
Uh, if you ask truckers, for instance, and you know we, there, there was a, a piece in the New York Times, for instance, um, about uh, their views on on self-driving trucks, I think the awareness is very, very high. If you ask a, a factory worker about robots, I think in many cases they're quite well aware of what's coming down the pike um, from a technology standpoint. Now, you know, the technologists and others will disagree about the pace at which it might happen and how effective these systems will be. But, you know, there's not, it's, I don't think that it's, um, you know, only technologists understand what's coming. Uh, so I, I think, at least certainly from an awareness standpoint, I, I do think that, in fact, um, you know, thanks to... to to uh, you know the, the the proliferation of of communications technologies, people sort of get what's what's coming. Um, now there the diff- there might be quite differential impact uh, based on you know when a, a technology comes into play. You know if it if it automates a factory worker's uh, work or a, a truck driver's work. Uh, you know that's that might have a different implication in terms of. You know, just first of all, it's just extremely painful to lose one's job, and very difficult in many cases to retrain to do other things. And I think those are some of the societal challenges that we're all going to have to grapple with uh, going forward. Now, you know, as as someone who lives in California in a sunny, optimistic uh, place, uh, we've seen this happen before. We've seen a double-digit percentage of what in the U.S. workforce has done change over decades. Um, you know, for, for example, you know, 40% of the U.S. workforce involved in agriculture around 1900 and 70 years later, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2%. So that's a huge change in less yeah, than a Yeah, it's a, a massive, a massive change. Sure. So we've seen it happen before. My only other point there, there is that it doesn't happen by accident. I mean, you know, that during that time period, we had a high school movement. Uh, we had a society, government, and, and private sector come together and agree that, you know, we should have roughly universal secondary education, a high school, basically. And, and so I think going forward, to have good outcomes, we're going to have to make good decisions. But if we make good decisions, I am optimistic, even though they're you know, again, it's it's not easy for people in many cases when this, you know, when this impacts them. Uh, but but broadly speaking, over time, I'm I'm optimistic that we'll be able to have people transition to other jobs as the, as they're displaced from from uh, uh, from activities that they previously had to do. Think about the project professionals again as we go back to this broad community of of people that spend a significant part of their day moving projects forward whether they're at the executive level, whether they're in the PMO, whether they are uh, young, upcoming project managers, how do they prepare for a world that is increasingly smart? And I mean that in the sense of smart technology, a world that is increasingly automated. Um, How do they prepare for that? How do they prepare to continue to bring value uh, in that future world? Yeah, I don't know if that I have a, you know, any... um you know, secret uh, ideas that uh, no one has thought of before, but, uh, you know, maybe a few principles that might be interesting. One is, I think, increasingly, uh, and even more so than, than previously, you know, project man- a project management professional needs to be able to understand these technologies, understand the art of the possible, and try to stay at least abreast, if not ahead, of where, what these technologies can do, because they can both affect the, you know, and improve the work that uh, any professional does, as well as the projects that they're uh, trying to manage. So I think that's, um, you know, that that's at least uh, one thing that's very useful. Secondly, I, I increasingly, you know, again, some of our other researches has led us to the conclusion that the effective use of data and analytics is changing the game. And I think being able to 
become more familiar with uh, statistics, experimental design, and, and these other sorts of disciplines uh, where, you know, rather than just business judgment and experience, uh, being able to apply, you know, numerical, quantitative, statistical analyses to, to decision-making uh, will be very, very important. And then finally, uh, there's a, you know, if we go back to previously in the conversation, some of the some of the skills, some of the capabilities which will be least uh, or more di- most difficult for the machines to do, uh, whether it's motivating others, whether it's uh, emotional intelligence, uh, whether it's being creative, um, and, and then being flexible and agile, because as I said, all of these technologies are going to affect all of us, and we're going to change what we do day to day. And so how can we be resilient? How can we learn how to learn? I think all of those sorts of soft skills, mindsets, capabilities, which are in, in those realms are going to be increasingly going forward, increasingly important going forward. And to be able to cultivate those, practice those, and in fact, in certain cases, I think you can learn those over time, uh, will also stand people in good stead as these technologies continue to wash um, over the work that we all do. And I think that brings us back in some ways to what we talked about earlier, which is that the good news for this space, if we look at this broad space of project management and project leadership and and managing large portfolios of projects and so forth, is that I believe what you're describing is consistent with where people in this space are focusing. You know, as, as we participate in a number of, I'm, I'm involved in a number of events throughout the year, and I've watched that conversation over the last decade move more toward what you're describing, particularly when you start thinking about those kind of leadership skills and skills around judgment and skills around, uh, around motivation and so forth, then uh, I think there's a lot of consistency, maybe not 100%. I think there's a lot of consistency with the direction that people within the industry are moving in their focus and what you're describing is what's likely to be required and what's likely to be the uh, the areas of skill and expertise that are going to help people uh, really prosper and flourish as they move forward. I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense. I mean, if I were to be most provocative, uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the pure skills involved in project management increasingly will be done by the machines, right? Just resource leveling, for instance, or or, or yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, the software will start to do, and then then as you said, the, the thing that will be most valuable and engaging is how do you motivate people at, you know, how do you lead a group? How do you, um, you know, get people to, to, to do the things that need to be done? Well, Michael, uh, you've brought us something really fascinating today. I appreciate it. Um, you know, when we think about not only this audience, this community of people that we really speak to in terms of those that some significant part of their work week is dedicated to to constructing and leading and guiding projects forward, but really the broad population. I think you're involved in something that is relevant to all of us and something we need to be thinking about and is a fascinating, fascinating space. I'm sure a lot of people are a little envious of the work that you do. I'm sure you, I'm sure that you get that at cocktail parties, right? Well, I do feel lucky to be able to do what I get to do. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a, a pleasure to talk with you and an honor to be able to, um, uh, you know, to be heard by, uh, by your listeners. Absolutely. And the honor is ours. Thanks again, Michael Chua. You've been a wonderful guest and we look forward to talking with you again. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. For an easy way to stay up to date on Projectified with PMI, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and PMI.org slash podcast.